Welcome to R&R Showtime with Robert and Ryan. And today is a special Oscars 2021 episode where we're going to rank the uh, eight nominated films for Best Picture because, I mean, I've been trying to watch all of the Best Picture nominees for the past few years. I think 2017, the whatever year Shape of Water won was the first year that I started watching all of the Best Picture nominees just just to see what they were like. And I found myself happy that I've chosen to do this because sometimes some of my favorite movies of the year were movies that I probably wasn't going to watch had I not basically started doing this. So yeah, Ryan suggested that we do this. And I was like, well, yeah, it sounds like a great thing to you know do for a, you know, a podcast about movies and TV shows. So um, and and I think just like he said there, I've never gone out of my way to watch all the best pictures. I probably watched like one or two each year, you know, just as a matter of wanting to see them, you know, despite them being best pictures. And this year I had to go out of my way to see them all, um, you know, <laughs> having to spend forty five dollars watching them literally on Amazon uh, within the last 24 hours before we record this podcast to make for, sure I got them all in <laughs> for the for the few that weren't for free on a streaming service because about about half of them are free if you have the streaming service but some of them you gotta pay you gotta pay the money if you want to watch the father yeah (laughs) or promising young woman yes well promising young woman was only five bucks but uh the father and uh minari were both 20 so yeah so uh you know but hey i you know going into this i want to say we are gonna give our rankings and we're gonna talk about these movies and, you know, possibly some of their downfalls and a lot of the good things that they do. But I would say I was pleasantly surprised that I liked all of these movies. I thought they were all good. They had they, they offered something different, each one of them. And they all, I mean, were enjoyable movie experiences for me. So I'm glad that, you know, I put myself in the position to watch all these. And I think I'll start continuing to try and watch all of them from now on as well. What I will say is that I agree with that. But what's notable about this year in particular is that I would say the one movie that I was least interested in watching, the the movie that I was probably would have put at the bottom of my list to watch was one of the movies I ended up liking the most. And that's why sometimes giving yourself the goal of watching all of them is uh, helpful. Well, I mean, uh, without further ado, let's get into those uh, rankings. So we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth and give our picks uh, from eighth to first because there's eight nominees, and uh, yeah, these are gonna be personal opinions. So yeah, I would like to say that I do not think that ultimately my number one pick is what is gonna get picked by the Academy. I actually have a separate list of what I think the Academy would rank these things in. Um, but I'm just going based on kind of what, how, how I like them the best. So, um, but I think Ryan's going to take it off and he's going to start with his number eight. All right. So at number eight, I have Mank. So, uh, Mank is a, uh, movie. It's basically telling the, uh, process, the writing process of, uh, Herman Mankiewicz writing the film Citizen Kane. And having seen the movie Citizen Kane, uh, this movie is no Citizen Kane. It's it's a good movie. I really the things that I want to highlight as good about it are I think Amanda Seyfried in her fairly small role is uh, 
probably doing some of the best acting that I've seen her do. Uh, and, and she's not in it very much, but I think she does a great job. I love the aesthetic of it. The I think they really capture that sort of 40s, 30s Hollywood style and look very well outside of it being black and white. And I think the the music is good. It puts you in that time and place. And if if I had to give my biggest reason why I don't I don't I don't have it higher is I I think Gary Oldman's good in this role, but I feel like he may be, may have been miscast because he's a 63 year old playing a guy who's in his early 40s and in the flashbacks his 30s. So it it makes you perceive the character differently than he should be perceived because Gary Oldman looks considerably older than this character actually is, in my opinion. You know, I think that might have been purposeful, though, because he's supposed to be a, uh, you know, a, an alcoholic, like, a you know, a deep alcoholic, clearly. And that is, you know, supposed to kind of age you a little bit. But, you know, I can see, you know, why you might say that. Um, my pick for number eight is Sound of Metal. Interesting. All right. Um, and again, as I kind of stated at the beginning of the podcast, I liked all these movies. Um Good things about this movie. I mean, I love their use of sound in this movie. Obviously, you know, haha, it sounded metal. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed their use of sound or even their lack of use of sound. It gave an interesting perspective into sort of into, into basically being deaf or, or, you know, having to deal, deal with things without being able to hear and, you know, the impact of noise overall to us, uh, you know, sound to us as people. So, however, I mean, the movie just didn't really, it did not in some ways appeal to me, right? As a, you know, as a storyline personally. And besides it appealing to me story-wise, it didn't affect me emotionally very much. It didn't uh, make me really feel very much for the character. And I don't, I don't want to make that any commentary on the performance because I think it was performed pretty well. Um, but there's just something about this movie that was, you know, it just didn't get to me as much as some of the other movies. Some of the other movies really, you know, moved me a little bit. So, I mean, that is why I would I would put it down in my eight spot. All right. So normally I would make a quick comment on your placement here. And then once we finish this, I would move on to my number seven. Uh, actually, well, so you're going to give your number seven next first. But mm -hmm. OK, so. Spoiler alert. Uh I'm going to talk about Sound of Metal pretty soon. So uh, mm. I, I, I sort of agree with what you have to say. Um, and you can move on to your number seven because I'm going to have more to say soon. All right. So my number seven is going to be Nomadland. Ah, I, see, I expected you to have this uh, fairly low. Yeah. And the reason... So Nomadland is a very... I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a powerful and interesting look into not only, you know, some commentary on sort of uh, the plight of the, uh, the, you know, the middle lower class a little bit. But this interesting dive into a, a person, an individual's life as they're sort of, you know, being on this not not homeless, but nomadic sort of uh, lifestyle. And there's a lot of like big 
sort of beautiful ways that things are shot with these open landscapes. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting and very close look into someone's life. But again, in just a personal way, uh, this did not, again, and maybe it's just because I, I couldn't, I couldn't even necessarily say it did not connect with me as much as I would have hoped. I thought it was a big and nice movie and there are so many good parts about it, but I, it just didn't, again, it didn't connect with me emotionally. It did not really move me quite as much. There were parts where I, I really did feel, um, you know, in the movie, there's a person that ends up dying and they sort of have their own, you know, moment where they, uh, you know, have a, have a treatise about death. Yeah. It, it's basically a monologue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and that was a powerful thing, but that wasn't even our main actress. Yeah. Um, and it, but not let alone, that was a good portion of the movie and I liked it, but, uh, it overall, the rest of the movie just didn't, you know, it, it didn't fully connect with me. Um, and yeah, so that's why it's got my seven spot. All right. I, I feel that. Uh, so real quick, I do want to know, uh, I wanted to, uh, add in an, an additional frame of reference, another ranking. Uh, my friend, my best friend Salem gave me their ranking of these eight movies because they also went through and watched them. And you giving your number seven reminded me to mention their number eight was Nomadland. So you're you're not alone in having it ranked fairly lowly. It is, it is a, it's not a movie I would recommend for everybody. That's for sure. I would say the, the lead actress though, uh, Frances, Frances McDormand. I, I think she did a really excellent job in the role though. And she always does. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no, what is your number seven, Ryan? So my number seven is sound of metal. Okay. Which I think I, I really went into that movie expecting to like it here. Here's something I'm going to give as a caveat. I planned to try and watch as many of these movies in theater as I could. I had a ticket to watch sound of metal. I was in the theater for my showing of sound of metal and they canceled it because they couldn't get it to work. And so I had to go home and watch it on Amazon prime. And so I was not able to enjoy this movie in a theater setting where I could get this sort of sound quality that I think it deserves. And so I'm going to give that as a caveat, but that aside, I, the things that I want to highlight is good about this movie. I think Riz Ahmed gives a very good performance. I would not be upset if he won best actor for this. He's not my personal choice for best actor, but I wouldn't be upset about it. I think the sound design in general is very good. The way there's one scene in particular where you hear a person singing this song and it's very beautiful. And then you hear Riz Ahmed's character, how he's hearing the song like halfway through the song. And it sort of makes it painful to know how he's hearing this beautiful singing is not how it actually sounds. And so I felt that to be a very affecting moment. And I appreciate that it has real deaf people and has, it highlights the real uh, strength of the deaf community and uh, the supporting actor, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he plays Joe, the uh, leader of the deaf camp. Is, is he's an actual? He's an actor portraying this character, and I think he does a wonderful job in this movie as well. But it's kind of like what you were saying about it. There's just something about it that didn't grab me. Um, I I couldn't fully connect with his character. And it was just sort of 
depressing because I don't know. It just, I just didn't get what it was meant to make me feel other than to give me a perspective of deaf life. But I, I feel like it wasn't enough about that. And arguably it was also too much of the story. You, You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, one thing I like, as far as what it was trying to be about there, there's the obvious thing about being deaf, but a powerful thing in the movie is that the um, supporting actor, can't remember his name, Joe, yeah. sort of teaches, uh, is trying to teach him a concept, right? And it's about, I think it's really about acceptance and and through acceptance, finding strength. Yeah. Um, and through like through stillness also finding, you know, finding peace. Um, and, I, you know, I think by the end of the movie, we see that the character sort of uh, regrets a certain decision that he makes, you know, in, in some degree thinks that he wants one thing, but in the end, uh, you know, what would have really brought him greater peace with another. And that's another thing. I feel like the decision that he makes, um, just sort of made me feel like less, uh, it sort of took me off of what the movie was doing at that point. Cause I think the, the whole middle section when, when he's with the, the deaf community I think is probably the strongest part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he makes a decision and then I kind of don't, a a lot of the movie past that point just sort of loses me. Yeah. I I would also maybe say that as well. Though I I think, I think it it comes, I think it comes back at the end. I think it ends. Mm -hmm. It sticks the landing fairly well, but yeah, it's, I had high hopes for this movie and it, I think that may have led me to uh, get too hopeful about it. And it, 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 it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, there are no bad movies on this list in my opinion. Um, But yeah, so I pretty much agree with what you're saying there. I just think I put it a little lower. You know, there's some parts of it. It's execution that lost me. And I would say that Nomadland, while it didn't connect with me, I don't think there's any part of it, you know, as a movie that, lost it. I just think that, you know, what it was trying to deliver didn't connect with me as much. And that's kind of why I put it lower than Nomadland. All right. So your sevens, Nomadland, my seven sound of metal Mm -hmm. for reference. Salem has promising young woman here. Okay. And, uh, once again, in the trend of me almost copying you, my number six is Nomadland. Um, so I think, I think I walked out of that movie recognizing how well it was crafted and it's, I mean, first of all, Frances McDormand, always great in anything she does. Uh, the real the real life people that are playing these characters in the movie um, uh, that are like in real life doing this, uh, living this life. So Nomadic like, the, yeah. So like the you, you mentioned the swanky character who dies in the movie in real life. She doesn't have cancer. So that's something she actually uh, makes up for the story. Uh, the monologue that she gives and it's shot in a close up way, I think is like an, a very powerful scene. It's a very good scene. And in general, these uh, real life people just giving their stories. I think it's such a fascinating look at this lifestyle and the way that this movie is shot as well. It's, it's a very pretty movie to just look at some of these like, uh, like uh, landscapes of uh, of America are just nice to see. And she's walking around exploring, living this life. And I don't know. It's a, 
it it is a it's a movie I can't recommend it to everyone, but I am happy I saw it. I will say. Um. Yeah. I. You know. I sort pretty much. I think you put into words a little bit better how I how I felt about No Man Land as well. Yeah. I mean, it, and quite frankly, I think we have probably a very similar level of opinion of this movie is why we have it ranked fairly closely. But uh, so your number six. Yeah. So my number six is Minari. Minari. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, story about a Korean family in the I don't know if it's late or early 80s. Um, yeah. 80s. To, you know, during raising Reagan's presidency. That's that is our confirmation of time uh, area. And uh, moving to Arkansas to essentially start a farm. And there, you know, again, this is a movie that I did not expect to even like that much. Uh, And once I watched it, I I thought it was just a really interesting slice of life. Look into a just this family, this man struggling to fulfill a dream and what he believes is how he can best take care of his family. And the struggle of his family and these interesting conflicting factors and, and how this just how this family relates is so very real to me. It seems very genuine. Like the fact that it is a movie and obviously we're just watching actors, you know, playing out a story um, is, I don't know. It's uh, they did so well that I forgot that. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, now I will say that like some of these other ones, I did not necessarily, I, I'm, you know, felt some of the emotional sort of parts here and, but I didn't necessarily connect with them. And it's hard for me to connect because there's no part of this movie that I can connect with other than maybe something about living, you know, like that. Yeah. There's just no aspect of this movie that I personally could connect with, but, but it was just so well done, I think. And that I, I just enjoyed it almost more. And, and this movie, now to say it like this, some of these Oscar movies in some ways, they almost feel like they're trying to be, artistic if that makes sense they they try to do a lot i mean th- these are people that are directing movies and they are these directors are artists and they're trying to create art out of their movie and tell a story and a narrative and everything and and you kind of see that force in some of the movies and it, and it doesn't necessarily take away but but this movie felt overall genuine like there are just shots that are beautiful but they don't feel like they were put there to be artistic um and so that is why I mean, it, it might seem like it's on the lower scale of these things here, but I think it's an excellent movie. The only reason it doesn't get it any higher is because it just did not evoke enough in me I, at, for it to stick with me. I, I would argue that at this point in probably both of our lists at this point, it's not so much that these are any movie that we're talking about now. It's not that we didn't like a movie. It's that we liked five movies more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think Minari is it, it's definitely a movie that not everybody would go out to see. It's largely subtitled. There's quite a bit of them ta- speaking in Korean throughout the movie. So I, I, I recognize that it is once again, it's a Oscar type movie. But I think it uh, it. Yeah, you're right. It uh, it 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 has real genuine like family arcs in it. So mm-hmm. uh, at this, I, I, I'm just going to note Salem at this point, put trial of the Chicago seven at number six. So mm-hmm. we can see variety across all three opinions. Yeah. We, we haven't even referenced trial or promising young woman in either of our lists yet. Mm-hmm. So, but 
you got your number five? Yeah. So my number five is going to be Mink. All right. <laughs> and so my re, you know, my reason for putting Mink this high, and this is also another movie that I did not expect to be actually this high. I thought it would be pretty low. Now, some reference here is that I've never seen Citizen Kane. Yeah. I, I, I kind of vaguely know that there's some references at Rosebud. That's some kind of reference, but I do not know what that movie is even about. Um, and don't just don't really know anything about it. Now, watching Mink, there's a few things here that reason it basically made its way up higher is, is one. I have sort of an affinity for that, that time period. I, I thought you would have it higher because of the whole, um, uh, Hey, see, <laughs> yeah, of. just the 1930s, 1940s sort of uh, period, the, the costumes, everything about it just appeals to me. And that, yeah. that I'll say that right now. Like if the movie was about some other period of time, probably would have been, you know, the eight spot. Um, but because of that, it appealed to me a little more. But I also think that the way that this movie was presented and now again, I haven't seen Citizen Kane, but it makes me think that Citizen Kane is shot similar to this. Yes. OK. And so I think that this being in references in Kane, not knowing that, but I, I got that right away. I was like. You know, I'm pretty sure that this is shot just like how Citizen Kane is. And because they're doing that, it's such an interesting, you know, analog to that movie. Watching the movie, did you pick up on what Citizen Kane, the movie is about? So, so, I mean, from what Mank sort of says in it, he, he almost explains what he, you know, writes about in one scene. Yeah. Um, you know, where he's talking about, you know, I'm going to write my own version of Quixote about a newspaperman. And and then we know from Malunchi's references that he is basing some of his characters on William Randolph Hearst and his yeah. wife. I believe it's his, it's got so his, that, or his mistress or something. So uh, the Amanda Seyfried character, yeah. that, that's the thing. The character, there's a character in Citizen Kane that many people latched on to being that Amanda Seyfried's real life, uh, mm -hmm. Marianne Davies. Mm -hmm. They basically decided that that character was based on her, but in reality isn't based on her. Like bank based it off of another rich person's famous uh mm. like mistress that he put into movies yeah but people latched onto that idea and people got the impression that it was about her mm -hmm. and so that's where the contra the controversy of him knowing her on a personal level mm -hmm. yeah that sort of thing but yeah the M citizen kane is largely about william randolph hearst yeah so and uh, the only thing i know about william randolph hearst is that he uses newspapers to uh, you know, in, in like a cabal to basically like demonize marijuana uh, in, you know, the early 1900s because they were using hemp to. And he has a big castle. Yeah, he has a big castle. And Patty Hearst was uh, involved in the those killings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost forgot to mention. Uh, I don't think either of us have brought up the maybe the one of my favorite like taking me out of the movie moments of the movie was seeing who they cast to be Upton Sinclair. Who do they cast? Bill Nye, the science guy. Are you serious? That was up uh, Upton Sinclair. Oh, wow. You only see him in the one scene where he's yeah. like talking to people. And it's like his back turned to us. Yeah, yeah, but it's Bill Nye. Wow. That is, I didn't, I, you know, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't stay to watch the credits most of the time. So I didn't notice that, but that is kind of funny. Very, yeah. very interesting. Um, but I will say, so the fact that they were doing analog to Citizen Kane and how it's presented is already one thing, but the fact that I think that delivery in this movie was actually very good. I, and I think this interesting flashback and flash forward thing that they do brings this, this narrative almost full circle where at first I'll say in the beginning of the movie, 
I was saying, I almost thought to myself, I'm just going to have no idea what's going on. I've never seen Citizen Kane, right? And I was a little confused. It almost drops you in. And specifically right in the beginning, it's hilarious that they say, uh, when he first starts writing the script and he's presenting it to, you know, one of the producers or whoever, you know, the houseman. Yeah. He says, you know, Mink, I don't know if a general audience is going to be able to follow this flashing back, you know, and forth yeah. narrative. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. I like this, uh, this, uh, you know, speaking about itself portion of the movie uh, where they're using that same thing. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of like really fun, interesting ways that they made this movie. And the subject matter is interesting too. I, I think it's interesting to see this interaction between these Hollywood executives and how this, you know, race was apparently rigged and all these things. Yeah. yeah not also, rigged, but, uh, you know, shifted. I'll, I'll also say, I think they casted the Orson Welles character pretty well. Like mm -hmm. I bought that that was, he, he gave me the Orson Welles vibes. Yeah. So, and uh, I, I did mention this earlier, but to me, I genuinely thought that sometimes, okay. I think in media, we have like people being portrayed at different ages a lot of times. And, and it almost confuses like what an age looks like. And to say being, you know, I'm going to be 29 soon. Right. So I'm in my late twenties, but I, you know, I, some people would assume that I'm younger than I am. And then I see other people that are like, I see literally people that are actors sometimes. And I'm like, how is that guy the same age as me? He looks younger. Or how is this guy younger than me? He looks like he's 35. Right. So I, I just, you know, maybe it was my want to just uh, suspend my disbelief, but I accepted that he was supposedly his age. And I, and I also See, let here, his alcoholism be a reason. Here's the thing. Did you that. accept that he was his age or did you just assume that the character was around Gary Oldman's age? Did you just assume that this character was probably like late 50s, maybe 60 or something? Um, what age would you have assumed this guy was? Just I, like, I would have assumed he was a little older than yeah. he was supposedly supposed to be. And I think that sort of changes some of the 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 scenes of people telling him to not ruin his career by doing this. Mm. If this man's already like 50s, 60, then I mean, he's already had his career in his life. Mm -hmm. What's there really to lose? But think of it more as a man that's like 42, like he's still should be trying to preserve his career in Hollywood and for him to die 15 years later spoiler i guess of real life he, he's yeah, dying in his history he's dying in his 50s not dying like in old age yeah oh fyi it's a little late for this but there might be some spoilers ahead we've been doing i think a pretty good job not to reveal any key plot points to anything so far yeah. um but uh yeah going ahead that might end up being a thing and in this movie i did mention some things but it's not a lot of spoilers per se so all right so let Go me ahead with your five. My number five is going to be the trial of the Chicago seven. I am very happy. I watched this movie in theaters. Um, I thought it was so funny. I laughed out loud at several moments, particularly uh, with the uh, Abby Hoffman, such a Baron Cohen character and the, uh, the other, the other yippie character. I don't, let me see. Did I write down that actor's name? Uh, Jeremy strong. Yeah. He, uh, no, no, wait, yeah, I think Jeremy Strong is the actor I'm thinking of. Uh, I think they're very funny. I think in general, this movie, the, the all of the court scenes, I'm like, th is this real? And a lot of the things that are real, that judge really is that awful of a, was that awful of a judge in real life? Um, I think the writing is pretty good in the movie. Again, that that, that goes into the funniness of it all and the, 
I think it's a, just a great ensemble cast in general. Um, uh, uh, Yahya Abdul, uh, Yahya Abdul. I can't, I didn't write down his full name, but the, uh, Bobby seal character I think is good. Uh, the little bit of Fred Hampton we get in this movie is interesting to see, especially with, uh, Judas and the black Messiah having that perspective on the Fred Hampton character, uh, makes it interesting. I, yeah, I think this is a good movie. I, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was also interesting to be frank, never knew who Fred Hampton was. Uh, didn't know really much, you know, about the Black Panther Party other than some bit, you know, a little bit of history that we get taught in history class. So to have seen Judas first before I saw the trial and then be like, oh, that's that guy. And then the event happened. Yeah. I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. The end of Judas and the Black Messiah coincides in the middle of this trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that that was interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I had this movie a little higher i swapped it with my number four but i think it's because my number four i didn't get to watch in a theater and if i think if i had been able to watch my number four in the theater then it would be at my number four spot and so i thought that was a more fair place to put it and so real quick let me uh reference salem's number five and then i'm going to go into my number four and salem has mink at number five so Hmm. Same placement as you. Wow, interesting. Yeah. All right. All right, so at my number four, I have Judas and the Black Messiah. That's very convenient because my number four is also Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, what a coinky dink. Yeah. So actually, you know what's funny? At number four, Salem has Judas and the Black Messiah. That is rather amusing. So let's get it out of the way to say that I think this movie... Uh, my opinion gives us a look into something that I did not know a lot about. And I'm glad to have learned more about it and to understand um, more about the black Panther party and what they were. And I mean, it is no surprise that the the government was, you know, fucking them over like, yeah, uh, at all. And I think um, the actor for the the black Messiah, Fred Hampton, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Very powerful. I don't think anybody would not, agreed that his performance was was great there um so i have you know those comments to say well you know let's hear you were supposed to start this off so go ahead all right so uh yeah so i think right off the bat the things that i like most about this movie is some of the casting i think uh lakeith stanfield who plays the judas character and daniel kaluuya playing fred hampton i think are both great both of them nominated for best supporting actor because in a movie titled Judas and the Black Messiah, who's the main character, Judas or the Black Messiah? Right. Neither, I guess. Yeah. That's what they decided. I think Lakeith could have been nominated for best actor. Uh, I don't know if he has good chances in either category because I think Daniel Kaluuya has a little bit more of a showy performance, though I personally would give my vote to Lakeith Stanfield of the two of them. I think his he has a more nuanced performance as this character, this Judas character that we're supposed to, I mean, the fact that he gets me to almost root for this guy who I know is the be- doing the be- wrong things. He's being selfish. It's, uh, it, I, think, I think he does a very good job at getting me to at least sympathize with this bad character. Yeah. I, I think 
I really enjoy movie. I mean, this is like more or less like a dramatization of historical events, you know, but based on true events is what I have to assume. Like I'm, I'm assuming that these are all, you know, mostly true, but again, like perhaps dramatized in, in ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to take someone who we are not supposed to like, I mean, he's, he's supposed to be the Judas. Yeah. That is not a good role to be playing, but yeah, throughout this, you understand why he's doing these things and, and his conflict, really, you see his conflict in, in the things that he's doing. Um, and to know that, uh, you know, at, you know, later when at the end, once these things are revealed, uh, historically that, that man, you know, ended up, you know, taking, again, this maybe a spoiler for the movie, but it's just a historical thing that happened. Like that man ended up taking his life, yeah. you know, because of having, because of his this, guilt. Yeah. Because of his guilt, having the story put out. So, um, but so to say, why isn't this higher and why isn't it lower? One thing I would say though, is that a lot of these other movies, well, let's be clear at this point, we're, we're in our top four. This is the higher half of the list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it definitely takes a higher spot because I think there's just, I mean, the performances of Fred Hampton and I can't remember what those guys, Bill, yeah. Bill. Yeah. Their performances were stellar. You know what we're, we were witnessing the, the movie was put together very well. But one thing I think to myself, and, and sometimes I actually debated on making this lower a little bit, but I've, I, I, this was the last swap I made was between this and trial because I did not get to watch this film in a theater. And I think had I been able to watch it in a theater, I would have put it above the trial. Yeah. This movie could have been lower for me. Um, it was just such really because this movie was just a movie. It was just a story that was told and it was done very well by all the actors. But I think a lot of these other ones that are a little lower, the way that Mank was portrayed, the way that Minari, the, a lot of them are portraying this artistic feel. And that's what I just mentioned earlier. These Oscar movies often come in as being kind of pieces of narrative movie art. And a lot of the other ones display a lot more. And this one doesn't. I don't think this one goes out of way to have special shots. It's just telling a story. Here's the thing. I think it's no coincidence that this is also the only movie that of all of you, me and Salem, we watched this movie independently of our own choice. We wanted to see this movie mm -hmm. before Oscars had even been announced. Every one of every other one of these Oscar nominated films I watched after they got the nomination. This is the only one that I sought out to watch on my own. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think it was advertised a little more than the other movies. Mm -hmm. The I Am a Revolutionary, that trailer I saw a lot. And I, yeah, it made me want to watch this movie. And I, I also want to uh, give a shout out to, I mean, Jesse Plemons, who's the FBI agent, his uh, Bill's handler yeah. to the movie. He's always good in anything. Mm -hmm. I actually think uh, Dominique Fishback, who plays uh, Fred Hampton's... Uh, girlfriend wife yeah. the mo mother of fred hampton jr i think she actually gives a very strong performance in this mm -hmm. in uh, many key scenes i think she does a really good job i don't think i've seen her in anything before but i think she's she's got potential to really stand out in mm -hmm. future things yeah absolutely um so i mean is there any more that we can say here this movie was good like it was it was just like well put together and it delivers something. And, I, you know, I think the charisma of both of the leading actors is why this got put so uh, high for me. I think overall it's just a well put together story and it, and it, and it just followed a good flow and ended it, you know, in a, in a good way that whereas some of the other movies might have missed certain beats or not quite, you know, connected. I think there, it was 
almost easy to connect, connect with the story and, you know, feel some of what was going on and, and feel a good, feel a good finish, like a uh, sound of metal kind of finish, but it also, it almost lost us a little bit in certain ways. Mank, you know, it's something that it was hard to connect with, even if I appealed to it a little more because of, uh, parts of it. Again, Minari, hard to connect with that exact story, even if I can connect with certain parts of the emotion that are there. Um, this one, again, I, I think this was something that, I, much like Ryan said, we all wanted to see this despite anything, but I think I think most people would have wanted to see this. Yeah. This I, was a story that people wanted to see being yeah. told. The one, one last thing I want to give about this movie is I think that there's probably going to be, a, there's a lot of uh, probably YouTube uh, video essays to talk about this movie because there's there's subtext to this movie of the uh sort of uh honestly it's a surprise that warner brothers wanted to make this movie because it's kind of a starkly anti-capitalist film mm -hmm. uh very pro socialism in many ways and i think there are interesting videos to watch on the deeper subtext of this movie mm -hmm. but that being said i want to uh Moving. Have you carry us on to number three? And it, it's at this point that I realized that in our top three, we're only going to have one movie difference where we have two. We're going to have two of the same movies in our top three. Yep. So my number three trial is Chicago seven. Interesting. Not my number three. So mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. So um, the trial again, this is a movie where I, like many of these movies came into it. Didn't really think I was going to necessarily like it or really even understand what it's about. And the, this movie was so very, this, this movie was made in a way that was so digestible for any person that watched it. And the fact that this is the one that's on Netflix for free, make is on there as well, but, but ne it's on Netflix. Any person that stumbled across this movie and watched it would get through it and feel the same, this, this feel the same kind of emotions that I did. I think everybody can, can get it. Some of these other movies. I, I think, you know, maybe the emotions or the things are a little over, you know, s some people's head. Like if you're not there for, you know, what is sometimes an artistic movie, it's it's hard to really fully grasp everything. And this movie is not that, but it does have powerful scenes and it communicates so many things effectively and and just has a lot of likable characters. Sasha Baron Cohen, they make it, you know, funny, but also it illustrates this again, what is a essentially historical you know, mostly facts. Again, I don't know the absolute accuracy, but I think Ryan has there, there, there's, I, I don't know everything detailed either, but there's some things made up like the female FBI agent. She's complete false, not, not existent, but some of the things in the movie are accurate. Yeah. Or like how Sacha Baron Cohen is playing 10 years older than he should be because the movie was supposed to be made in 2007. Yeah. So, but the fact that, I mean, this paints this interesting historical event in a way that's so digestible for people. And and through it, I it was making me, uh, it was it was evoking this emotion in me. There's a little, a little bit of like outrage. Like how could the, it's, know, and it's a timely film. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't mention that before. The uh, cops and everything, the rioters yeah. versus cop aspect of it all was certainly felt very uh, modern. I, and, and you mentioned the writing of it being digestible. I think Aaron Sorkin in general is a writer that can both be artistic, but also gets like gets general audiences to feel things with his writing. I yeah. think he does a good job of that here. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, this, this movie was just so well put together and much like Judas, it was a story that was told. It starts, 
it ends, it comes to complete. But this also has a little bit of the, the flashing back that sort of sort of Mank did where but it was used very specifically. This one was we're looking back at events. We're going before it and, it and it places everything right where it should be. So we're going back to an event and it gives us reference to the next things that we're seeing and they're all placed in the correct spots. So every I mean, everything that's revealed as it's revealed comes in very well. And this whole movie just by the end of it, I was just like, wow, like that. That was really good. And that was the fourth movie I'd watched. You know, so this is I think I'd watched it after Judas, after Sound of Metal and uh, and after No Man Land. So that was one where I just I felt really you know good about having watched it at the end. Uh, so yeah, that's why I mean that's for the most part that's why it takes my number three. Yeah, I yeah I I can't begrudge that. Uh, my number three is a uh, promising young woman. I uh, so real quick. Other than Judas and the Black Messiah, I would say that. And I guess Trial of the Chicago 7 to a certain extent because it's a Netflix movie. I feel like Promising Young Woman's probably probably the most easily digestible to a wide audience film on this list, while also being a very important movie. It's a very Me Too era movie. Uh, so get those caveats out of the way. Honestly, I think this movie works so well. One, because I think it's well written, but two, because Carrie Mulligan just sort of delivers such a strong performance in this role she makes you want she makes you okay following her character throughout this whole movie uh for those who don't know the general plot of this movie she's basically playing this uh woman who pretends to be drunk at bars so that guys will take her home and try to take advantage of her so that she can basically uh, reveal that she's not drunk and basically call them out on their toxic, their, their toxic bullshit. Yeah. And I, I think she's very good in it. I, it, it's just one of those movies that you can just sit and watch and like, you just sort of just let the movie go by and you're just enjoying it the whole time. I, I also want to highlight, uh, I think Laverne Cox has a small role in this movie, but I think she does she she's uh nice to see uh bo burnham and in general they cast a bunch of well-liked uh affable uh adorkable sort of actors to play these uh sort of sketchy guys bo burnham plays her love interest in the movie who i mean if you know who bo burnham is and you already kind of like the guy he's just he's just so easy to like in this movie and there's a certain turn to his character, which I'm not going to give away, but you can sort of guess that something's going to happen, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I think the turn itself, it, I think he he does such a good job getting you to like him that the turn is made a little. Yeah, it's and I mean, when you get when you cast all these likable guys to play these scummy dudes. It. I just want to say one of the other things about this movie is the uh, a lot of times in movies, uh, film critics talk about the male gaze and that films are shot from a male perspective. This is a movie that from the very beginning of it, I felt, OK, this is not a male perspective. This is not how a, a male uh, looks at the world. This is a female perspective. And it very much gives you that through the whole movie. And I, yeah, I think there is a lot of good things about this movie. 
I would totally agree. So yeah, I'll have I mean, more to say, say on it later, though. I, but everything you said is I'm just in a total accord with that. So all right. Uh, so did we mention Salem's picks for uh, the last movie and uh, our number uh, four was one? Judas and the Black Messiah? Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, we had the same one. And then number three, Sound of Metal. See, so that's that's the sort of. Huh. That's sort of what I expected to feel about Sound of Metal going into this. And going forward, uh, me and Salem actually have the same number two and number one. So just as reference, we Mm -hmm. have the same number two and number one. So I'm going to go into my number two. um, And so I I also want to preface this. My number two and my number one practically interchangeable. I think I like these movies an equal amount. I'm putting my number one higher because I I think I'm putting my number one at number one mostly because of these two, I think number one is more likely to get a best picture recognition, but I practically like these movies an equal amount. My number two is The Father. Mine is as well. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Oh my God. It's, it is, inc- it's so incredibly powerful. It's, it's shot in such a interesting, cr- I mean, this is, this movie, if and you don't understand, it's it's essentially about a daughter and a and her elderly father's relationship, and really him dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's. Yeah, and it is just shot in this way that again we talk about how some of the other movies I couldn't connect, I can't connect with. It. I don't know what it's like to feel that, but but I did connect with it, and it's shot in a way where I I was feeling very emotional. By the end of this movie, it was pulling out of me this this pity, this confusion. Like I felt confused at this movie, but that was the purpose. I feel the director did such a good job at making me confused, but, but also illustrating if you feel confused, think about how some people like this man have to live. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins. God, you know, best. I mean, is he even nominated for best actor? Cause yeah, it's yeah. going to be hard to say he's not the winner. So yeah, I think the only reason that he will not win the award and I don't, I, I have a feeling he probably won't take it. The only reason he won't is because he's won it before, but God, this is, this mm-hmm. is maybe one of the best performances of his career, at least that I've it's, seen. Yeah, it's, it is just stellar. It is something else. And I would like to echo that my number two, number one spots, I feel basically the same. They're almost interchangeable. These movies are so good. This is, I, I went into making this list and I was like, this is going to be difficult. I, I knew that some of them would be a little lower and I actually broke it up for myself into one, twos and threes to of the tiers. And there was really only two movies for me personally that were the number ones. Yeah. And it was this movie. And I, I will also say this. I watched this movie directly before we did this podcast. So maybe you could say, oh, it's because it's so recent. But but I know it was truly just I, I walked out of the father. and I was like, damn, is this my number one? Because I had already seen my number one pick at that point. And I was like, it's one of these two. And I just, I think, I think that's another reason why I put it at number two. I was like, maybe, it, maybe it's a bit recent. Cause I only watched the father uh, on this Wednesday. Today is Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to feel like there's a recency to it as well, but you know what? It's, it's so good. Olivia Coleman plays his daughter in it and she gives such a subtle performance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she, she's, she recently won best actress and, if I didn't agree with her winning best actress for that movie, the favorite I, she 100% uh, is is a standout in this film for, I wouldn't give her the sporting actress win because of my number one pick uh, for best picture. 
that that's gonna be my pick for supporting actress there but i uh, she's so good in it they're both so good in it it's so well the the direction of it just how uncomfortable and like disorienting i i walked out of the movie theater and i felt disoriented yeah i and i I didn't just feel disoriented but i felt this like i feel like i really got this look into uh, another, I mean, a lot of these movies give you that sort of, um, you know, perspective where you can look into some other kind of thing that you don't understand another part of life that you haven't experienced. But man, if, if you've ever looked at dementia and Alzheimer's and just seen like, wow, that's really sad. Like now, oh man, I, it was it, literally this, this movie made me think what an absolute hell, what an absolute hell. Like this is not even like, if this is even anything like what it's actually like, I, I can't even imagine living like this. It, it, and it made me feel so, it made me pity and feel so, uh, just so much almost sadness and, and so much, really so much emotion. It was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a young person, but it's not difficult to put yourself in the position of I'm going to be that age someday. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's scary. Yeah. He, and that's that's a lot of what you get in his performance. You get you get the fear in his eyes mm-hmm. sometimes when he doesn't remember things precisely. Mm-hmm. You you can just look at him and know and just recognize this like little hint of fear and confusion. Mm-hmm. And then he just like tries to wave it off like, mm-hmm. "Oh, no, no, that's not it's it's okay." But <sighs> yeah, but it's not and it, not just fear, but also anger. There's like, and, and also justified, you see, you see other people reacting to what he's doing and how he's feeling. And it's frustrating for them, but it's, it's even more frustrating for him. Yeah, exactly. And, and it gives you a new perspective. I mean, and, and to say this, uh, our grandfather is also sort of starting to go that path from what we understand from what I, I it's not yeah. like something I very much experienced when I, you know, had last seen him and when he was around, but yeah, I've I heard seen him in a while. I have heard more and more about these things about how he'll, you know, talk to our mother on the phone. Um, and or our aunts and, you know, not not know which daughter he's talking to or what they're talking about. And I mean, I really did while I was watching this movie, just sit there and think like, wow, is it is this even a, a part of what he's starting to experience? Like it just made. Yeah, it, it, it made me truly sympathize for people that might have to deal with even a fraction of this or or, you know, entirely like this. And and every, and just the movie, the way it's shot, portrays it. It's it's all about how it's directed as well. Like some, you could have made a movie like this, but without that actor, without this set, the way they use the set, without the way that it's shot. I mean, this all puts it together perfectly. I don't know if you could have made a better movie about this. I think it helps that this uh, film was directed by the same person who wrote the play that it was adapted from. So I think this guy. And I actually watched an interview where he basically said that the role was sort of written with Anthony Hopkins in mind because in in the director's opinion, Anthony Hopkins was the greatest living actor. And I think this movie kind of justifies that 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 belief that he's the greatest living actor. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's stellar. I mean, honestly, and again, this is another one where before I watched it, I was like, oh, this, I mean, this and, was literally the last one I would have picked to watch on my own. Yeah. But I mean, I was like, oh, Anthony Hopkins, he's really good in everything. I mean, he's such a good actor. This will probably, you know, fine. But coming out of it was just like, wow, holy this. That was one of the moments where I was like, I'm so glad that I watched all these all these movies now. Exactly. All these movies were amazing and powerful and so worth the watch. And I would literally recommend going to certainly recommend anybody go watch The Father. The Father, 100%. I mm-hmm. hope many people go and see if that you want to feel things like if you want to 
but it's not good things, but it's an experience. <laughs> it, it's uh, so I watch uh, this uh, YouTube channel. They do the honest trailers for things. And every year they do an honest trailer of all the nominations for best picture. And every year they sort of pick the movie that nobody really watched. And the father was the movie that they put as, well, you didn't see this movie. So blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that sentiment. Like, yeah, this, this, it, had I not made a point to watch all of these movies, this would have been probably been the movie that I skipped and like, oh, I know what this movie is about. It's Anthony Hopkins. He's playing like a dementia dude. It, mm. Yeah, it, it, I'm sure it'll be powerful or whatever, but no, it's so much better. It's yeah. so much better than I expected it to be. Yeah, the, the summary of this movie tells you nothing about this movie. So uh, that and that is the, the thing is I read, you know, I've read the little summary of all these movies. But you can't think that you know what this movie is just by reading its little, you know, the little uh, paragraph that they give you before you start watching it or when you're looking at reviews. Yeah, this one is, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's this is a fantastic movie. And again, would exchange it with my number one as well. Yeah, but we digress into our number ones. Ryan. Well, you're actually first. Oh, is it me that digs yeah. it? Okay. All right. So <laughs> my number one, Promising Young Woman. He, I. I'll be honest. I did not expect you to pick this for your number one. I thought that was, it was controversial too. Right. I thought I, I, I knew that I didn't think Ryan was going to think that I would pick this. Right. And, uh, I have to say, Oh man, promising young woman, right? This is, this is okay. The father probably a movie I wanted to watch, but promising young women. I thought this would have been my lowest one. I thought this was seriously thought it was going to be number eight, just going into it. Uh, you know, cause I was like, Oh, this is some movie about women. You know, I'm not going to connect with it or something yada yada right you know and that's that was a you know truthful initial thought but i was like well yeah i'm gonna watch it though anyways and this movie hit so many interesting points for me now i've said before i can't miss on things i couldn't connect with things emotionally or something like that you know because i couldn't see myself in this again even though i'm not a female i felt so much of what was being portrayed in this the emotion the disgust like that was a feeling that arose in me multiple times where I was looking at these situations and being a man was just like ashamed. And I'm like ashamed that, that there are men that act like this. And, and even, even all doing a little introspection, like, have I been like this before? Yeah. You know, making me really take a look at myself and like hoping that this is not something I've ever made a woman feel like or done. Um, it, the movie also, I mean, again, Carrie Mulligan, amazing actress, really just carrying this, this movie, this uh, powerful, everything that Ryan said earlier, I just, you know, want to, Reiterate. I mean, if you want to go back and listen to what he said, I just agree with all of it. But added to this, this movie, it, it does a thing that I really love in movies in general, which is where it grips me by giving me some information, but not enough. And then just slowly revealing things. And it keeps me really wanting to know more. I, I like mysteries. I like putting things together. Yeah. And I had it commented that this movie, oh, you could kind of see where it was going. You could, obviously, right? But... I, you know, and yes, there's a part of me that, that kind of didn't know the direction we were going in and I understood, you know, how things were going to end up, but, but still getting the, the piece of, it, I kept wanting to put little things together and, and the more and more it went on, the more and more it was leading up to it. And it came to this point of what I call the emotional denouement of the movie. <laughs> and it was such a like draw dropping moment for me. And and now I will say there's just one little criticism is that I almost think that this movie could have been more powerful if they had just let it basically end right there with that. Yeah, I, I've heard that criticism before. Mm-hmm. 
but I I feel like it could have been a bit too. Much. It, it might have been a little too bit too much. It a little it might have given a little bit because because that I think me. that I think from what I heard I think that was an original. I think it was originally written with that ending. Yeah, and it feels like it feels like the movie could have ended basically right there, and it would have just left you with this feeling of of, of true like you know if I felt a little bit of outrage with the trial of Chicago Seven, this one made me like seething, acidic, caustic. Just disgust. Like yeah. seriously, that, that I remember thinking those words in my head. I was like, I am, I'm disgusted. I am disgusted at these things right now. And it, again, for a man, like getting to see that perspective, I think was so. It was so necessary. It was so powerful. I, I appreciated having, you know, being given that. So that almost, it almost challenges me to be a better like person. And and just the way that it was done. Oh, and also. I like that this movie there there's a, a some cinematography things about it. When they definitely go either way. This is one of those Oscar-ish movies where they take moments to just give you these artistic shots, multiple of them. See, I actually don't like I I get that it has shots like that, but I actually don't feel like this movie is catered to an Oscar's audience. I think it's catered to a general audience. Yeah, see, I'm not saying that it is, but it but it definitely has a lot of very artistic purposefully like this scene is literally put here just because it looks artistic, but I don't begrudge it. I actually like them. I think yeah. they're all like, they, they look cool and interesting. I'm uh, there's a specific scene I keep having in my head of where it just shows her head over this sort of, um, this fixture on the wall yeah. and, and her head is squared into it with like a yellow background, the blue fixture and, and her face is there. There's another point where it's the camera's di centered directly on her and she's sitting on a couch and it's just this, uh, this movie is also full of so much color, but the subtext of this movie is so dark. And, and that is such a juxtaposition that like the movie is so colorful and you associate that with good, bright, happy, fun when everything about this movie is not happy, bright, fun. Yeah. I mean, it is a it is a dim, serious. I mean, there I, there there is fun. It, it's a funny movie at times. I mean, Bo Burnham's character in particular, there's a very fun montage scene set to us. Uh, a wonderful song, mm -hmm. uh, Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's one of those scenes where it's like, oh, wow, it, it feels so good in the moment, but you know what's coming. Yeah. But and again, I think it is surprising that I ended up feeling this way, too. But I remember after watching that movie, I was like, I think this is going to be my number one. And I kept watching the movies. And I, and the father was the only one where, again, when I went through this list, I put them all sort of in rankings. I was like, father, and promising young woman. And there was just, again, the the depth of emotion that this made me movie made me feel the actual disgust sat with me. It sat with me so much uh, like to the point where like, I feel like I learned something and can try to be a better person for having watched this movie a little bit. Like as a man, I feel like I can be better for having had this perspective, you know, from women. And it addresses a point, a, a point that is just so necessary. I think it's great that this, this movie was, you know, made and is out there and, and that it can, you know, be said. So, I think that, and this is another movie where I think you can find quite a few uh, strong uh, video essays on YouTube, basically dissecting this movie more, and it'll only sort of make you like it more, in my opinion. Yep. So, getting into my number one, uh, I don't know if you can do the math in your head of what I have left, but my number one is uh, Minari. Yeah, and that is also very surprising to me too. I was like, "Wow, okay." I would, re I really want to hear, you know, about why you felt that way. So, first of all, I think, I think the entire sort of ensemble cast in this movie is is very good. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, Stephen Yoon, I think, is 
he he has a nomination for best actor. I actually wouldn't uh, peg him as one of the stronger performances in the movie. I'd say the two strongest, in my opinion, uh, belong to uh, Alan Kim, who plays the son, uh, David. And uh, let me get the pronunciation. Uh, Yoon Ya-chung, uh, who plays the grandmother in this movie, who is nominated for best supporting actress and should win that award, quite frankly. Uh, they have this uh, wonderful, rich dynamic of this, uh, basically the kooky grandma character that just sort of gets introduced at this, some point in the movie and shakes things up. But so, so Minari, as you said earlier, is basically about this Korean family moving to the Midwest to start a farm. And that's one of the... You you talk about how promising young woman gave you a perspective that you didn't have before. That's what I got from this movie. Like the, it, it and it's not just the immigrant perspective or the farming perspective, but it's all of it and more. What all the characters in this movie, like even the daughter who I don't feel like gets a lot of attention, does a good job. Like makes you believe that this is like a real like. uh she's this real person. They all feel like real characters. 100%. They, yeah. Like, and, and that's the sort of acting that feels like it's easy. Cause they're just being themselves. No, these are actors doing capital a acting. Mm. Um, and it's just such a fascinating movie to watch. I didn't, for the longest time watching the movie, I didn't know what it was leading up to or what was going to happen. And there is this, uh, thing that happens at the towards the very end of the movie that when it was happening first of all so i i mentioned before me and salem have the same number one we both have minari at the top of our list uh and for both of us there is a scene that happens towards the very end that's a little uh i almost want to say triggering uh of something that happens to this family that is a in the moment uh, seems like quite devastating to watch happen. And so as I was watching this scene, I was like uncomfortable. Like I was in my seat at the movie theater, like just like sort of like, uh, just like I didn't want to watch what was happening. I didn't want to think about what was going to happen there, but the sort of resolution to it just made me feel so good. Like I walked out of that movie it was like maybe the third of these movies that I saw. And I was like, I think this might be my pick for best picture. <laughs> I, I just have so it's just so good. The Mountain Dew of it all. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so, it, it's another one where it's like, it's not laugh out loud funny, but there's like so many things in it that are just like casually funny and just like likable about they're, this movie. Yeah. They're charming in like a, in a, again, just in a genuine way. I yeah, that was my biggest thing I liked about this movie is that it just felt so genuine to like like this was really just these people living and it was excellent to get to see into that. Um yeah, I mean I, I can I I because this movie did surprise me, I don't think it's crazy that you picked it as number one. Um it does it does surprise me though. But but uh I mean yeah, I uh, again interchangeable with the father, more or less. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> And, and uh, you know, now that we have all of our our personal picks, 
I go back to saying that I don't I don't think that Promising Young Woman is going to win no, the Best Picture. No, it won't. It and, won't. And I don't I, really think Minari will either. Uh, of the two, I'd say Minari is more likely. Uh, I don't see the Academy. This is this is a very mm-hmm. wonky thing to say. I don't see the Academy giving it to the Korean movie two mm-hmm. years in a row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, what do you think? What do you think will be Best Picture? Um. I mean, I you know you mentioned that they wouldn't want to do it twice, like give it to him again. But I think it's I think it's gonna be the father. I mean, I think I actually did make like a you know if I could run through it, I made a list of what I think would be the actual rankings if the Academy ranked them. Um, and you know this might be you know this could be totally off base, but this these are my my picks in order. So starting at eight, I think Minari would be their eight. I think Sound of Metal would be their seven. I think The Trial would be number six. I think Promising Young Woman Woman would be number five. I think Mank would be number four. I think uh, Judas and Black Messiah would be number three. I think Noah Island would be number two. And I think The Father would be number one. So it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I I imagine that I have a better sense of what the Academy may typically go for. I can tell you that The Father is not going to be best picture, like 100%. That's, I think so. That's probably the only one that I could guarantee would not. Uh, I, I would say like, before I sort of read, heard the commentary of what was most likely to win, I probably would have said that it was a battle between Nomadland, Mank, and maybe Trial, maybe Judas in the Black Messiah. Mm -hmm. But I I would say it's probably, I I think it's going to be Nomadland. And Mm -hmm. then I listened to some Oscar prediction stuff and no man land is the favorite to win. Yeah. I, it, it, I left that movie and I was like, I think that's going to win best picture. That, that was my impression. It's still watching all these movies. It's pretty much been my impression that no man land was probably going to win as well. But okay. And, and this maybe is because it, it does. I, I thought the father was so powerful, so much more like interesting as a movie. I was like, well, this, this is so much better than no man land, but this might be because I've never really, I don't really watch the Oscars. I've never really watched them before. And, and your perspective and understanding kind of what they pick. I why, think. Why do you say that? Or why is it clear that the father wouldn't win? Well, so. A multitude of things. I think it's one. I don't think it's one that a lot of people are going to see. Mm-hmm. So Academy voters in general don't watch every movie. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're they're just like they're people like us, like they work in the movies, but they're not getting around to watching everything As particularly this year. They're probably going to watch the movies that they hear the buzz around. And so I don't think as many people are going to have watched the father to vote for it. Also, I think we're, we're like in a era where the Oscars voters, like whether, like, I think a certain level of them are going to try and vote for movies that they think will have some level of impact for voting for them mm-hmm. and voting for the movie with two white leads with a white director isn't going to make the Academy feel like they're patting themselves on the back in the way that they want to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So they're probably going to be like, oh, let's pick the one that makes us all look good, you know, s- social justice wise or something. Kind of. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of it, which it is not something that they frequently do. I mean, just two years ago, they gave it to Green Book, but I think they, they've, they're they still getting criticized about Green Book winning. And they're I think they're going to do some, they're going to want to make 
a choice more along with Parasite. If they made a Parasite choice this year, I think they would pick uh, Sound of Metal. But if they made a traditional choice, I think it would be uh, No Man Land. Hmm. Interesting. And what's, a, what's a Parasite choice? Well, you know, could you help me understand that better? I mean, so, I, this, this is for me and for anybody else that's not like an Oscar watcher. So we can. So I, I, did you watch the movie Parasite? I did not actually. I never got around to it, but I, I kind of wanted to. I'd, I'd wanted to watch it before the Oscars, before we got Best Picture, and I still kind of wanted to. I just, it, you know, it's like basically, basically, like most of these pictures, I just didn't make the time to go watch that movie. Basically, it's a movie that it, it's a foreign movie. It's mm-hmm. like was made fully set in Korea by a Korean director, fully in Korean. It, it's not American in any way. It, it's a movie that typically wouldn't even be considered in the best picture category because like in prior years, they would have just put it into the foreign language category. And when a movie gets into the foreign language category, it's less likely to be given the best picture thing because it's seen as not, not the typical choice. Like the obvious choice for best picture was going to be 1917. That would have been the traditional choice. Mm -hmm. And and in my opinion, that was my favorite movie that year. I also liked Parasite, though. And I, there was a lot of people who did not expect Parasite to win, despite many people strongly believing it was the best picture. And it took it. And it made a lot of people happy. And But it was a surprising choice. And it's a question of whether or not they're going to keep up surprising people or if they're going to continue to vote or, or if they're going to vote for this more traditional Oscar pick, which would be Nomadland. Hmm. How do you think um, like coming out of 2020 and everything's going to affect, I mean, do you think, do you think that more people watch the, like because more people, I think less people year. than ever have watched these movies. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I know that seems interesting since it was so, we were we were all put you know in the house more and I feel like you know a, a, a thing for a lot of people to do is to watch movies to to pass the time but um I don't know that's interesting I mean what so I think your perspective is is probably more accurate to be honest I mean for for uh where is it I'm trying to pull up last year's winners and nominees so let me vamp a little bit for reference the movies nominated for best picture last year are Parasite, Ford v Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I watched all those movies. Yeah, so those are all a lot of those movies were pretty accessible movies like the the more artsy movies were Parasite and like I watched all of them except for Parasite actually. Yeah. Parasite's probably one of the more artsy ones, but you got movies like Joker in there. That movie made a billion dollars mm. or and like the previous year i think was when black panther got nominated or get out got nominated mm-hmm. like uh in recent years i think oscars have been returning to having movies that people have seen nominated for best picture i mean avatar has been nominated for best picture uh toy story 3 was nominated for best picture typically crowd there is usually a movie that many people saw in the nominations and this year that movie is like judas and the black messiahs probably or trial of the chicago seven because it was on netflix yeah these are the movies that people saw but how many people actually saw them yeah trial of chicago 
Chicago Seven was actually put on multiple times. I hope Netflix was on the front page. Yeah. So but how many people clicked into it? You are correct. I think there was enough because it was front page and there's enough people that just sit there and watch Netflix so much that they would just go, oh, let's get that one a try. I think it got a good more. Mank, I never saw that. I had, you know, I had to you know type in M-A-N to even have it pop up for me. Yeah. So that's one that certainly did get, need to get searched for. The one thing I, I thought why it might get nominated or why, why it could, why it's really in the in the runnings is just that it's, it, you know, it's a movie about movie makers and a movie yeah i think and- i think i think uh a couple years ago mank would have been the pick mm-hmm. uh i'm i i sincerely hope that it's not because mm-hmm. because yeah. it was my least favorite like that but that's just me yeah i i don't necessarily think it deserves to win best picture though even if i enjoyed it so while we're talking about it let's go through some of the other categories yeah uh best director um oh and before we get into this a little bit I haven't even seen this all the movies. I don't know if Ryan's seen all the movies. I haven't, but I've seen more than you have. Like in the best director category, there's one that I haven't seen. Yeah, I'll keep it short, and I'm just gonna you know pick out my favorite. Uh, you know, based on whatever. I'm gonna pick my favorite. I'm gonna pick the one that I think would win. Uh, best director: Thomas Vinterberg, Another Round, David Fincher, Mank, Lee Isaac Chung, Minari, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Um. Uh, okay, didn't see another round, so you yeah, know, sorry I we, didn't see that. Yeah. yeah, sorry that we can't have that one even a part of our choices. But um, I'm I'm gonna make, say either a uh, director for Mank was it Mank one of those David Fincher for yeah, Mank David Fincher for Mank or Promising Young Woman just because I think they were shot and you know the, the the directing of those movies I think was very well done. Uh, if I had my choice of who would win, I would probably give it to honestly I would give it to the one who I think is gonna win Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, say what you will about the movie. I think it is very impeccably directed. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I would say that, but those are just my personal choices. And I, I think Chloe Zhao is the favorite to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, best actor. We have Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Raimi's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steven Yoon for Minari. Um, Anthony Hopkins for The Father is my, my personal pick. Uh, I just to say though, I saw Chadwick Boseman and Mom Rain's Black Bottom. I thought that was amazing. I yeah. thought he was definitely very good in that one. I I would put it, but I I'm pretty much tied between Chadwick and Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think either of the, I I would be happy with either of them. I'd be happy with Riz Ahmed. He wouldn't be my choice. He'd probably be like my third choice. Mm-hmm. I think Chadwick's gonna take it. Yeah. Because it's their last chance to honor him. Well, and, and that's not the only reason, but uh, yeah, I th- I think Anthony Hopkins has the award already. Riz Ahmed has the potential to win it in the future. Mm-hmm. And this is his, their last chance to honor this man's yeah. career. I, and just, just because of that and not, and not to say like you should pick him because of that, but I, it, it's I, not belittling it. It, it, yeah, it, it, it is it, a performance deserving of it. 100%. Like I, I, you know, if it wasn't Anthony Hopkins, I think it would be Chadwick on of all those choices all right uh best actress we have viola davis for ma rainey's black bottom andra day or andra day for the united states versus billy holiday vanessa kirby pieces of the woman which i have not seen francis mcdormand for nomadland and carrie mulligan for promising young woman man this is actually kind of tough i don't you know viola davis i think she was good in Rainey's black bottom but i don't think she uh had to take that no. i think i think carrie mulligan honestly it was no, I got. I gotta say, it's Carrie Mulligan. Even though Frances McDormand, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing in everything I've ever seen her in. But I, Carrie Mulligan really just, I mean, sent a promising young one for me. I've seen Frances McDormand 
she was good in Nomadland, but she's given better performances. Uh, I would, I want to give it to Andre Day because the one thing that the thing that I think worked best about United States versus Billie Holiday was her as Billie Holiday because I was just I just kind of lost that this was an actress. It just kind of felt my idea of this person. She basically embodied it. Yeah, I did uh, not see that. So if I had seen that, maybe I, my opinion might be different. I also didn't but, see one of those other movies you mentioned. Yeah, Pieces of a Woman. Yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, though, is the favorite to win, and I think she should win, too. I think it's between the two of them for me. Uh, but I think, I, yeah, I'd be happy with either of them winning. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor, Sacha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield, Judas and the Black Messiah. Remind me who Leslie Odom Jr. plays. Sam Cooke, the singer. Okay. Hmm. I, I, I actually thought that was a good movie. Thought all the actors did a pretty decent job. He I wouldn't have know. been my pick. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked him. Though. I would have gone with the Malcolm X. Yeah. Uh, Character. Yeah, so I don't know exactly why. I mean, he he did a decent job portraying, and this is for someone. It's not like I you know have a great perspective on exactly how any of those people would have acted, but yeah. I mean, I yeah, they all did a pretty fair job. He sounds like Leslie Odom Jr., but he also kind of sounds like Sam Cooke. Uh, but yeah, he wouldn't have been my choice in that movie, to be honest. Uh, you know, I'm I'm brought to uh, <laughs> um wanting to pick probably like Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, I think he's the favorite to win. Uh, again, I personally thought Lakeith Stanfield did a better job in the movie, but I am not upset with Daniel Kaluuya winning for this. Yeah, either one of them, I think, would be both deserving. Paul Racy and Sound of Metal also did a good job. You know, okay, I will actually say this. You giving me the perspective that he's not deaf, that actually makes his performance a little elevated to me. So yeah. I do... You know, I, I want to yeah. give him a little more credit as well. I what, still don't think he's my pick, but yeah, I mean the Fred Hampton character alone. It, it's it, yeah, best supporting actress uh, Maria Bakalova, Borat subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, which I did not see, but you have, but I did, yes, uh, as Bonnie Mama Vance, Olivia Coleman, the father, Amanda Se- Seyfried for Mank, and uh, Yoon Yu Chung for Minari. Um. You know, I'm going to say it's either between Glenn Close or, or Yoon Yoo Chun because they were both. I mean, uh, you didn't see Hillbilly Elegy, but I think that, you know, the the mamma on that is. Yeah, she's she's pretty stellar. I mean, if you like the, the grandma in in uh, Minari, I think you would, you know, think that the mamma in uh, uh, Hillbilly Elegy was pretty uh, excellent, too. Also, I didn't realize that was Glenn Close. <laughs> like, which is funny that you say that. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so here's a category where. I mean, once again, I don't think Glenn Close is going to get her Oscar. She's been nominated many times, but hasn't gotten it. Uh, I think it's it's Yoon Yoo Chung's award to lose. I haven't seen Hillbilly Elegy. Honestly, this is a category where I could be happy with any of them winning. I thought Olivia Coleman was excellent in The Father. Amanda Seyfried, to me, was the standout in Mank. Mm-hmm. And Maria Bakalova in Borat's subsequent movie film. Again, like she sort of... Was a highlight of that movie? Didn't didn't see the movie. Okay. So, didn't see Borat. Didn't see Borat subsequent movie film. So, okay. But yeah, so it's a Yoon Yoo Jung's award to lose. 
Uh, best original screenplay, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, or The Trial of Chicago 7. This is basically writing award, which... Oh, so writing-wise? Hmm. Judas, Minari, uh, Promising, Sound of Metal, Trial. So it's not going to be Sound of Metal. It's not going to be Trial for me. Um, it's probably not going to be Judas. Writing wise, I don't know if the the writing and all those is amazing. Promising young women, maybe, but like I don't know if the writing is really what stands out there. What, what are my other options? Since I'm, not, I'm like knocking them out. You left Minari and Promising Young Woman, uh, so I think you would give it to Promising Young Woman. You know, well, I'll tell you right now that yeah. would be my pick, and I yeah. think that's the conventional wisdom. Yeah, that's pretty much where it's at. But I actually have to say it, that Minari comes. You know, d- this is one of those. This is one of those Oscar technical things where mm-hmm. um. Uh, People are not going to vote Promising Young Woman for Best Picture, but they're going to give it screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, it's yeah, going to make... So we give them that award so we don't have to wor- feel bad that we didn't give them Best Picture. Right. Yeah. And then in a similar vein, we have Best Adapted Screenplay. And that's for Borat's subsequent movie film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. And... Didn't see White Tiger. I haven't seen that either. The father. I mean, if they're not going to give the father to best father, best picture, like, um, yeah, I think the father will like take like editing or something. Best editing. Okay. Yeah. If that's a category, didn't know that's category. Then that, yeah. Father. We're not, yeah. We're not going to go into the more technical categories, but like, Mm -hmm. I think the father is going to get like editing sound of metal is going to get all of its award and sound design and stuff. That's the big, biggest thing about sound of metal is that the sound, they, they do that amazingly. Uh, adapted screenplay though. Uh, this one, I'm, it's a little bit more of a shot in the dark for me. Uh, maybe one night in Miami, maybe Nomadland. I, I don't know. That one's a little more of a guess to me. We can go on to other ones, but we're getting more into movies that we haven't seen like best animated feature film. We've seen the two Pixar movies soul and onward, but there's three other movies that I don't know if you've seen over the moon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, and Wolf Walkers. Well, if I had to pick between those two, it's Onward. So. I would pick Onward. Soul's the one that's going to win. Yeah. Most of fucking yeah. stupid bullshit. Right? <laughs> I like that movie. Soul's right, going to so win that. It wasn't terrible. I just didn't. It wasn't like the best. Soul's going to win Best Animated, and then it's also probably going to win Best Original Score. Uh, and then, yeah. Yeah. And are we just getting into technical ones now? Like uh, beyond the, our the technical ones, we can avoid like their yeah. costuming and stuff like that. But let's wrap it up. Yeah. So I mean, Oscars. I'm really glad that we went through this and watched all these best pictures. Exposed me to some movies that I might not have previously, and uh, glad we did this. Yeah, so, I'm glad you enjoyed this. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, I guess that's pretty much it then. So until uh, next time, this has been Robert and Ryan. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a good one. Yep.